We have this opportunity now to hear a message from one of God's men. I'm sure that he's uh, can't. He's nervous and he's biting at the bit because he has something he wants to tell you that you probably hadn't heard before, or but maybe you have heard it before. You just need to be reminded. So, in order for this first message, it will be with Mr. Reg Nolan. Okay, this is segment three of part one of Precious Stones in Scripture. This one is all about the stone assignments and uh, the tribal characteristics. This is what I've been trying to lead up to all of this time. So we're going to go into a good bit of history today, uh, as well as um, explore the stones individual. I've got my stones here with you, so I'm going to pass them around as I describe them to you, and you can get a feel for what they are actually like. Also, if you have my previous handouts, uh, you might want to refer to those. If you don't have them, I have some of the ones I'm going to use for the Feast and Tabernacle seminar here that you can take as well. Who needs a handout? Okay, if you do so, I'm going to let these guys come pass them out to you and returning the leftovers to me. Okay, thank you. Okay, what have we learned? So far, we have learned, um, we have learned about the precious stones and how, how they were put into the breastplate of the high priest and how each one of them had a specific position in the breastplate itself. We ran into a little bit of a problem in that the, uh, the stones were supposed to be engraved with the names of the children of Israel, and that was a problem because some of the stones were too hard to engrave with the, with the means that we had at our disposal. Uh, there's a legend that uh, I mentioned to you earlier about uh, how Solomon had a shmir, which is a stone-hungry worm that could possibly engrave the uh, stones that were harder than they were supposed to be. But in all likelihood, they were using the uh, softer cousins of the uh, harder stones instead. Uh, we find that, let's see. I have to learn how to redo this every time. There we go. Okay, so before I get started, let me give you a little bit of background on what this is all about. Okay, those who advocate for the healing properties of the stones uh, and gemstones argue that the stones are tools created by the divine and their crystalline structures can assist us in realigning the energies when we come out of balance with the cosmos. So what this what they are, they are tools that God created to help us or to assist us. Crystals are considered to be living beings, each one with his own spirit and properties, capable of drawing off negative energies and recharging us with positive energy, allowing our bodies and spirits to heal naturally and return into alignment with the universe. Crystals speak in a language of feelings. I don't speak this language, uh, which some people can sense and respond to. We have several members in our congregation who actually respond to the stones. Uh, even though they are not able to verbalize the communication all the time, they just feel it. Such sensitive persons may react strongly in the presence of these stones. Perhaps they may be the 
modern descendants of the Levites because the Levites were the ones who had to carry the stone, a particular high priest had to carry the stones inside uh, the Holy of Holies with him in the process. They were sensitive to it and it, it, it lay, weighed heavily upon his heart. Personally, the rocks don't cry out to me. I'd be scared if they did, quite honestly. Uh, so nor do I speak to them. I am not Moses or Aaron. So uh, uh, this is purely for me a cerebral activity, but I'm great at doing research and formulating uh, different therapeutics based upon them. Now, you might ask, why, why is this important to us? Well, in 1 Peter 2, 5 through 8, uh, we find in this reading, coming to him as a living stone. See, the stones are living beings. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which is the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled, disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. Now, this reference to the chief cornerstone, there's one cornerstone that was made so perfect that it was used to align all the other stones. There are actually usually four cornerstones cornerstones in a building, and one of them is the chief cornerstone. It is perfect. And they line up the other cornerstones with that chief cornerstone and then use those cornerstones to align the uh, fourth one. All right, so this is all critical here. Okay, so here's my thesis. Jehovah selected each stone in the breastplate to optimize the contribution of the tribe to the nation of Israel by doing one of two things, either by enhancing... Let me see if I get this right. By enhancing or amplifying a trait that they would need or by helping to overcome an inherent weakness that each one of them had. And they all had weaknesses that would go along. There are two questions that arise. And they are, which translation of the stone name do we use and which sorting of the names of the tribes do we use? Okay. These questions are of consequence. Because the translation of the stone name identifies which stone will be used and because the sort order determines the assignment to the stone in the tribe. There, we discovered earlier that there were two basic uh, uh, tribal or uh, possible sort orders. And here what I've got is a nice summary of it. If you have the little summary sheet that I just gave you, you'll find this on, it's on the sheet for you. Okay, so in the, here's the first row, these, these three and the stone that's used, and the uh, order in which they occur in the breastplate according to either the natural birth order or the birth order uh, according to mother sort, as what I'm calling it. Okay, so here's what's happening. Here's your normal uh, natural birth order. These were in order as they were born. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Natali, uh, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, and Benjamin. And that's the natural birth order. But if you take a mother's sort on this and put the, the, the mother's uh, important first, then something interesting happens. 
uh, Leah had six sons, and here they are. And you could put all of those on one of the epaulets on his shoulder, and then the other uh, mothers can have theirs on the remaining uh, epaulet. But look what happens in the process. Dan disappears from the final listing. He's not in the roster of the 144,000 in, in Revelation. So Dan disappears because of some of his, oh, let's say, less than righteous habits, shall we say. Uh, he disappears. And, and then what happens is that Issachar and Zebulun, uh, two more of Leah's sons, move up and take that place. Then the others get moved down one step, and Joseph here is replaced by uh, his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and Benjamin brings up the rear. So those are the two possible sort orders that, we, that I consider to be valid. There are like 17 different orderings of uh, the children of Israel in, in the Old Testament, but these are the two that I consider to be valid. Okay? You see my logic behind it? And by putting uh, the six sons of Leah together on one of the epaulets, it makes a nice, neat 6-6 six, six split uh, for them as well. Okay, now, to do this, we need to go back and get a little bit of the family tree. I don't know how much you're aware of the, the family of Abraham or not, but I'm going to go through a little bit of the details here. Abraham's dad was Terah. That's his name up here. And Terah had three sons, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Okay. Uh, Haran died early, uh, but he had a son named Lot. You may have heard of Lot. Okay. Uh, so Lot here, uh, Abraham more or less adopted Lot as his nephew and carried him, took him with him on the trips and journeys along the way. Um, what you may not know is that Terah also married another wife, and from that wife, he had a, a daughter. Her name was Sarah. Did you know that Sarah was uh, Abraham's half-sister? That's why when he was presented to Abimelech and he said, this is my sister, he wasn't telling a lie. It's true. It was also his wife, but uh, he wasn't telling a lie. It is his sister. So Terah married another mother and produced Sarah, and then Sarah and Abraham uh, married to produce Isaac here. But before that happened, uh, we have Abraham. Well, see, Sarah was promised to have a child, but she was getting old in age, like 90 years old or so, and uh, became impatient with God. So she sent in her handmaiden, her slave girl, uh, Hagar, and uh, to with uh, uh, Abraham, and from that union produced Ishmael, the father of the modern-day Arabs people. Now, how many people do we know that after Sarah died, Sarah died when she was 127 years old, uh, so she had a child when she was 90, that makes the child about 37 years old uh, when she died, and that child, of course, was Isaac. Okay, but after Sarah died, did you know that Abraham married another wife, Keturah? And from that, he got uh, six more sons. And this at the age of, oh, about 135, 140, somewhere in that neighborhood. Abraham then lived to be uh, 175 years old. Okay, again, I'm doing a little bit of history so you can see where all these things come from. Now, uh, that worked well for Abraham, so when it came time for 
Isaac to Mary. Uh, uh, he sent off to uh, Terah's, uh, his brother, basically, Nahor, uh, who with Micah produced Bethel, and uh, from that we produce uh, Rebekah. And Rebekah then becomes the, uh, eventually becomes the wife of Isaac. That would be his second cousin, I guess it would be. All right, so uh, Rebekah then marries Isaac, and together they uh, produce two children, Esau and Jacob. Uh, Esau becomes the Edomites as a result, and Jacob, of course, becomes the house of Israel, and that's what we would be mainly concerned with. There's one more branch that we need to be aware of, though, uh, and that is that uh, when it came time for uh, Jacob to marry, uh, he uh, went, went to uh, Rebecca's brother, Laban, who uh, had two daughters, and he wanted to marry the younger one, Rachel, but there was a custom that said he must marry, that the older one must marry first. So Laban effectively tricks uh, Jacob into marrying Leah first, and then he has to work another seven years in order to get the bride he wanted, which was Rachel to begin with. Those two daughters then of Laban become to the two wives of Jacob here in the, the um, house of Israel. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give you the whole story here on the family. It reads like an ancient soap opera is what it does because it gets really, as you can see, there's all sorts of incestuous relationships going on here already. Or not, well, it's second cousins and or half sisters and all sorts of other things along the way. Okay, so Jacob, as I said, marries Leah and Rachel officially. Leah uh, gives him four sons right off the bat. Okay, uh, and those are, of course, uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Okay, then Rachel is getting a little bit worried that uh, uh, Jacob's going to lose uh, his love for her, so she sends in her handmaiden, uh, who is Bella, and uh, to bed with Jacob here, and from that union we produce Dan and Naphtali, okay? And then uh, Leah says, well, two can play that game, so she sends in her handmaiden, Zilpah, and, uh, at the, and then gets from that Gad and Asher from that union. Then Leah becomes fertile again. She, she's been a, a bit barren here all in, in this room. She suddenly becomes fertile again and produces two more children, and those two children are of course, uh, Zeb, uh, Issachar and Zebulun, and produces the only daughter in the group, which is Dinah. Okay, so and I've got the numbers here so you can follow along with it. And if you've never seen this laid out in the family tree, it, it's quite enlightening to look at this way. Okay, uh, then finally, Rachel uh, becomes fruitful and produces Joseph. First, and then she produces Benjamin as well and dies in childbirth with Benjamin. Okay, uh, from Joseph, Joseph then, uh, through manipulations, gets uh, uh, sold into slavery and into Egypt. He rises from being a prisoner in Egypt up to be second only to Pharaoh, uh, and he, is, he marries uh, a high, uh, high priest's daughter, uh, Asenath, uh, this is uh, high priest to On, is Potiphera, I believe is how to pronounce his name, and from that produces the union 
from that union produces Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay, so there's the family tree of uh, Abraham, or most of it anyway. Uh, we'll get along with it. So, what do we do next? Each of these have national characteristics because our parents are our first teachers. Remember that, parents. You are the first teachers. We are the product of our parenting. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. The family values that we have, the traits we learn as a child, become part of our character. And as each generation passes down those values and those traits, like pressured, treasured recipes, they become part of our national character, even down to behavior patterns and facial expression. I remember one time how shocked I was when I felt on my face the same expression I had seen on my mother so many times before. It's, it's quite disheartening, quite disheartening. Okay. Uh, this is partly why the, the, oh, sorry. This is partly why the uh, family is, come on, back up, there we go. Come on. All right, good. That's why the family is the backbone of our society. And if we lose our family, without a strong family unit, we lose our identity. Okay, national characteristics. I have this in the little chart for you as well because I know there's not enough time to, to for every, uh, everything to go on here. So here we go. These are uh, national characteristics. Uh, what is the mother, what the, oh, come on, behave. Okay, hit the wrong button. Okay, so uh, here's what the, the, the children were in birth order. Uh, and this is the meaning of their name. Like Reuben says, see, a son. That's what Leah exclaimed. I've given you a son. Uh, and, and Simeon, God has heard. Uh, Levi uh, is uh, attached or to, uh, to unite, to remain, to abide with. Uh, Judah praised and celebrated. Each one of these is the meaning of the names that we have here. This is the script that would be inscribed upon the stones. Uh, this is the symbol that was associated with each. Like, for example, uh, Reuben was known as uh, unstable waters, or the mandrake, which is the uh, uh, white jasmine flower. Uh, Simeon is a sword, or a gate with the walls and towers of Shechem. And there's a reason for that I'll get to when we get to that explaining. Levi, of course, was the breastplate. Judah was the lion, a crown, a scepter, a lyre harp of David. Uh, Dan was the snakes, the scales of justice, and the lion's, uh, lion's whip. Uh, Natali was the hind, a deer let loose, running free. Uh, Gad was an encampment of tents, a military I've got the symbols all down through each one of these. Here's also the colors associated with each of the tribes, the flag or the banner, what it looks like, and here's the, this is important, these are the modern nations that have derived from them. There's a lot of information here on this one little chart. Okay? All right. So what do these look like? If you just look at the banners of the tribes, the flags, effectively. You can see a lot of the personality coming forward as well. Here is Reuben, of course. This is the unstable water. This is the mandrake, or the white jasmine. He's in the first position. Uh, there is uh, 
because I'm going in, and this is in birth order, natural birth order. So it'd be Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Natale, Gad, Asher, Issachar. Uh, this one would be in the natural birth order. This would be Zebulun. Uh, if you have the mother sort order, this would be Manasseh at this point. Uh, in the natural birth order, this would be Joseph. But in the uh, mother sort order, this would be uh, Ephraim. And Benjamin, of course, in that one. Okay, so we see the characteristic of the tribes in the flags themselves. So here's the mandrake, here's the unstable wave of water, here's the tribe of, uh, of Simeon, which is the, uh, there are two symbols that they were used. One is the walls and towers of the city of Shechem, and the other was the sword because Simeon was a great warrior, a hothead though. Uh, in Levi, we see the breastplate of the high priest. Judah, of course, is the lion of Judah. Dan used three. This one is a griffin. It's a combination of a lion, an eagle, and uh, let's see, a snake, if I remember correctly. Uh, Dan is also known as the one who would judge his people, so there's a pair of scales here for judgment. And he was also had a very serpentine path as he wandered through uh, his migration. So a snake is here as well. Sometimes you'll also see a horse pitching his rider off because one of the passages says that he's like a snake on the side of the path that bites the horse on the rear and throws the rider off. Okay, Naphtali is a deer running, a hind running free. Um, this is Gad, the, the, the warriors in the tents, the migratory group. Uh, they are military. Uh, Asher is either an olive tree or a, a cup of olive oil. So they were known for wealth and prosperity along the way. This is uh, Issachar, and Issachar is a strong donkey uh, between two heavy burdens, as we see here. He's also associated with, with the sun and the moon. Any of you who went to the uh, tabernacle... Um, display uh, out on the east uh, Garnet, or south Garnet, uh, I saw the flags on the inside of the tabernacle, and this is the symbols that we were, that we were using there. Okay, uh, here is uh, Zebulun. Zebulun is a sailing ship. They are mercantile. They sail the seas. They uh, import and export the goods along the way. Uh, this is for Manasseh, and this is a unicorn or an auric as it is called. Then uh, we have uh, Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough, so it's like a grain, uh, a, bough, uh, a, fruit, a fruitful harvest of grain. You remember the dream he had where it was a bunch of grain that was tied together? That's re representative of Joseph. In the mother sort, this is Ephraim, and Ephraim, of course, is the bull associated with England, so England is known as John Bull. And this is Benjamin, of course, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, and uh, that's the image that we have there. Okay, a lot of information on these sheets. Okay, these are the shields of the tribes. Now, what I've done is I've taken the flags and the shields and the stones and the mothers and everything and put them together in thumbnails here uh, for your benefit along the way. But again, you see the same idea expressed on the shield. Notice what this is. You see that? That's the fleur-de-lis of France, right? Remember the fleur-de-lis? Uh, anyway, that's the symbol of the mandrake, the white jasmine. Here's the wave of unstable waters. Here's the primitive man. 
This is uh, uh, for uh, Simeon, the sword, and the castle, for uh, uh, Levi, the, the breastplate. Here's the, the symbols for, that are on the shield for Judah, the David Davidic heart, the red hand, the red lion, and the, the, the dancing lion as well. Uh, here is the symbols for Dan. Notice again, this is the griffin, the, the snake, the scale, and the horse that throws his rider because he's bitten on the hind leg by a snake. This is the, the, the stag or the hind run free. Uh, here is the, the tents or the soldier, the warrior for Gad. This is for uh, Asher, the olive tree or the uh, cup of uh, olive oil. Here's the strong donkey of Issachar. This is Zebulon's sailing ship. Uh, this one uh, is the this is the slot that is occupied by either Joseph or uh, Ephraim. If it's uh, Joseph, is the, the the grain, but more often it's the bull for Ephraim here, or sometimes the unicorn. Uh, the cross and the arrows are for Manasseh, and they would be in this position, the mother sort, and uh, the ravenous wolf, of course, is Benjamin. Let's, okay. Are you following all this? Can you follow my little handout? Well, okay. So here we go. What I'm going to do now is to jump into the explanations of the stones and why I think that the stones were positioned and assigned to each one of the, Oh, boy. Uh, assigned to each one of them by, uh, according to what they would need. All right, so the first one is the, the ruby or, or the carnelian. All right, so I have my runners come up. I'm going to have you to uh, pass out the... This is uh, carnelian, carnelian, and it is a, a stone to use instead of... A, this one is a red one, a carnelian. This one is a, a palm stone. It's a little bit lighter color. It's orange in nature. All right, so pass those over. What we're going to do is I'm going to pass these around from each section this way and come back up to the center. Okay, so we'll pass them out of the way. All right, so here we go. Uh, so the ruby. Okay, the ruby is too hard to be cut. It has a hardness of nine on the Mohs scale, second only to diamond. So it would be difficult to, to cut, if not all. It is composed of aluminum. Come on, hurry. It is composed of aluminum oxide and chromium. It's the chromium which creates the red color. Uh, the alternative is for uh, it would be a sard or sardius, which is, means redness. And the carnelian is the traditional value. Carnelian has a trigonal crystal structure with a hardness of seven, a little softer than is the ruby. All right, here's the characteristics of the ruby. Ruby is a strong uh, stone of passion, adventure, vitality, nobility, beauty, courage, enthusiasm for life. It enables our ability to survive and to thrive. It's appropriate for Reuben, which is in the first position, because it has, it's beneficial for dynamic leadership. See, Reuben would have been the firstborn in the family, so he would have inherited the firstborn blessing, but uh, he, ha he has this problem with lust and such. He went up to his father's bed uh, uh, and slept with Billa, his father's concubine, therefore defiling it with, uh, defiling the, the family bed with, uh, with lust. And for that reason, uh, Jacob denies him his heritage and gives it instead to 
what will later become jo uh, Joseph. Uh, Ruby encourages a passion for life, improving motivation, vigor, etc. It can help one to tap into his innate power and fortitude, especially when one is encountering challenges to make him good. Ruby can help him to overcome doubt and anxiety and move forward in the face of fear. Recall that the French were the people who were accused of being too ready to surrender to Germany, among other things. Okay. A Carnelian has stability, excellent for restoring vitality. It imparts acceptance of the cycles of life and moves forward. It, he has great analytical abilities and clarifies perception. Uh, Emosis is powerful protector against envy, rage, and resentment both one's own and the other people which the French would need. Uh, Cornelian also calms anger and banishes emotional negativity. And it maintain, in other words, these stones, Ruby and Cornelian, help to gain balance over passion, to, to, to keep that equal uh, in passion, which, as I said, Ruben is going to need. Here's the characteristic. I've got uh, also, all of these are found in Genesis 49 and uh, Deuteronomy 53. And there you see the description of the, of the prophecies, of, uh, prophecies of Jacob and the uh, blessings of Moses in the process. And you'll see the name, the, oh, come on. All right, and you see, I've got here, and each one of these symbols is the same. I have the tribe, its meaning, the inscription is given, the mother, uh, the symbols, the flags, the banners that are included in it. Here's the stones that were being used along this way. Here are the shields that were used, the modern nations, and uh, the, all of these, as I said, are in Genesis 49 for the uh, prophecies of Moses, uh, so for prophecies of Jacob, or uh, Deuteronomy 33 for the uh, predictions of you know, the blessings of Moses. Okay, so they're all that way. I obviously don't have time to get through all of this. That's why I made the little handouts for you to follow along with. Yeah. Um, otherwise, this is like 27 pages worth of material here. I, I couldn't begin to get it. So if you want to f uh, find out more, Attend with my seminar that's coming up here later on. Uh, I want one, one, one more I'll do though before we pass, and that is the uh, simian, because I need to explain about simian. This is topaz. So simian is associated with topaz. Topaz is joyful, peaceful, calming. That way. All right. It also, though, okay, thank you. Uh, it also may be a, a simpler version is uh, this one, peridot. Uh, Go ahead. This one also. This is also in the same one. This is peridot. This is a little uh, bracelet of peridot. These are two stones that were possible stones for uh, this one. Topaz is the, the one that's translated. It is um, much too hard. It's in the same group as is the, uh, well, just underneath rubies and sapphires. Uh, so it's very, very hard and difficult to engrave. But the peridot would be much easier. And they're both beautiful stones along the way. The reason I wanted to get to this one is to explain the role that Dinah had in all of this as well. 
Okay, this is Topaz. It says, highly effective. The key idea here is Topaz promotes truth and forgiveness. Okay, truth and wisdom, forgiveness, love of good fortune, finding uh, alternate solutions to all of this. It promotes generosity, joy, generosity, abundance, good health, and encourages self-expression. This is important for the tribe of Simeon because Simeon is a hothead. I'll explain that in a moment. All right, let's get back to it. Here's the characteristics of Simeon. All right, Simeon and his brother Lee. Oh, let me back up a little bit on the story. All right, Dinah was um, Jacob's only daughter. Okay, he was born after Zebulon. That means she had 10 older brothers. Can you imagine a daughter with 10 older brothers? How protective they would be. Okay, uh, so what happens is that Dinah, Dinah goes out uh, visiting one day to the neighboring visit, village of Shechem. And she's talking with the girls there uh, in the process and encounters uh, the prince of Shechem. Shechem, uh, the prince of Shechem then seduces her and um, the, the older brothers consider it to be rape because she's a bit younger. She's like, they consider it to be like statutory rape. However, she seems to be a, a willing participant in the seduction that occurs. As a result of this, um, the king of she the prince of Shechem wants to do the right thing and come in to marry her, but uh, Jacob will have none of it because he says, your men cannot marry our women because you guys are not circumcised. So what does, the, what does Prince of Shechem do? He goes back and has all his men and boys uh, to be circumcised when they're old. And that's a, that's a painful operation for them to do. Now, while they are in pain, Levi and Simeon go in and slaughter the whole village. Okay, they and it killed just about everyone. So this did not please Jacob, shall we say, because it created all sorts of political trouble for him uh, with the neighboring uh, villages and, and the like. So, I see. Uh, Simeon receives no blessing from Moses. In fact, Moses gives no specific prophecy or even a shared one for Simeon, who is a hothead with an uncontrollable temper, and coupled with a cruel streak since Simeon never displayed any redeeming qualities to Moses before Yahweh. He, they lacked and continue to lack repentance. Today they are said to be the Israelites in Western Europe and those descended from Western Europe typically called the sin. It's, they have mean spirits and hot tempers. Most are not Bible believers. Get an idea? This is someone you do not want to have as a neighbor. He has a bad, bad temper. Now, because of that, he gets scattered among the tribes of Israel. So because you do, do not want a bunch of these people together, certainly, right? That would make for all sorts of problems. Now, when the northern ten tribes split off from Judah and Benjamin, uh, in the, originally Simeon was in a, inside Judah to the south and to the west. But when they split off, the, the uh, Simeon's, Simeonites go with the northern ten tribes and they get dispersed at large among the ten tribes. So they get scattered. And that's actually a good thing because as I said, you do not want these people all together. Uh, 
Anyway, I'm out of time, so I'm going to have to stop here. If you want more information, come. Uh, you can come look at my stones and uh, 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 other things here. I've got all this, all this information. I've given you much of the information on the uh, handout sheet that I hope you'll find interesting. And I encourage you. I encourage you to explore this. It's a fascinating study, and it pales, it makes any of the modern soap operas pale in insignificance by comparison. Okay, so have fun. My thesis is that the stones were selected in order to help the tribe. So the personality of the stones matched up with the things that the tribe needed, or either to, to reinforce the duties they would have or to help them to overcome an inherent weakness. Okay. Good luck. I hope to see you in my seminar.